Good morning and welcome everyone to a special edition of A Vision for You. Today is Sunday, August 4th, 2013. My name is Leah and I'm your moderator for this morning's Step 3 panel. Step 1 and 2 have prepared us. Now that you've admitted you're powerless over food and you've come to believe that a power greater than yourself can restore you to sanity, you're ready for Step 3. There is no need to procrastinate. The window of opportunity is open. Step three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Joining us this morning are Irini, Katie G., and Robin B., three recovered compulsive overeaters who will be sharing their experience with step three this morning. And to start off, I welcome speaker number one, Irini. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I'm a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. I feel very honored and humble and responsible for accepting this invitation to share on Step 3 today. Sharing was a decision that I had to make, a decision that I needed to trust, a decision to take this opportunity to grow, a decision not to think too much about it, but listen to what God would have me do. I had to make a decision to do the opposite of what I normally would do, which is to shy away from sharing. I asked God, how can I not say yes to such an opportunity to share with you how God works in my life? The battle within my mind continues. The voice had been shouting out fear, and this is when I let go of God's hand. The voice got so loud and uncomfortable that I had no choice but to grab onto his hand once again. I'm happy to say that God has a hold on me and is more powerful than my ego, more powerful than my disease that wants to destroy me. I asked to remove that fear and direct my attention to where he would have me be, and so here I am with God and with you. This is about how my beliefs change my behavior. What do I do with what I know? My belief told me I wasn't capable to share today. But what I know today is to trust and rely on God's guidance. What am I going to allow to govern my mind? What decisions am I making each moment of the day? I know what is right and what is wrong. Which do I choose is key. Am I going to believe what my ego tells me that I am not good enough? Or do I believe what God tells me to shine his light through me onto others and show what he has done for me, what I could never do for myself? This is where my faith comes in, having courage to trust and rely and listen to God. I used to host a lot of fun parties, but I also used to host a lot of pity parties. And I would invite everyone into my world of feeling sorry for myself, expressing that I am not good enough, that I am dumb, that I have problems with my memory, and I can't retain information, and if only I found that missing screw in my brain, I would be okay. Nag, nag, nag. I would go on and on. I would get angry when I was given a compliment, let alone never being able to accept one, because I believed I didn't deserve it. I was taught that these were the lies that were destroying me. I learned this was a false humility, which is a form of pride, It was my insecurity shouting out to be noticed, so I would tell everyone how horrible I am. 
And another example of my insecurity was the need to control. The more insecure I was, the more I needed to control so I wouldn't have to be fearful. So I lived my whole life trying to control the uncontrollable. I was a worrier and I became very resentful and very bitter and then guilt came over me. I was never at peace with myself. The only thing that gave me peace is acceptance of what I couldn't change. I was powerless over food, my thoughts, my actions. Self-reliance has failed me over and over again. It wasn't working for me. I needed a power greater than myself to fix me. I needed to have an open heart and an open mind to be corrected and set me right. I was ready to take step three made a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God as I understood him. This means that I first had to make a decision, a decision to commit to do the work in turning my thinking and my actions over to God. As mentioned on page 60 of the big book, that I had to be convinced that any life run of self-will can hardly be a success. I was already convinced that I am a compulsive overeater and that a power greater than myself can restore me to having a peaceful mind. Now it's about making a decision. It's a choice to accept an invitation to walk through an open door. Do I want to go through this door? Do I really want to change? Do I really want to get well? Am I sick and tired of being sick and tired? Do I want to grab this opportunity of growth? Do I want to enter a place that can give me access to a power that can bring me peace of mind and soul? Wow, how tempting, how inviting. Do I want to go through this door that can offer me happiness and opportunities for a better life? Do I want to enter the party of celebration? Do I want to begin a journey to live a heavenly life? Has my way been working for me or not? Am I willing to try something different? Am I willing to take the leap of faith? Do I dare make a decision to not continue taking the steps to live a heavenly life? Or do I embrace this opportunity to take a chance to walk through this door and become what I was meant to become? It's what goals I decide to set and the self-discipline I decide to practice to get me a spiritual life or not. I have to be careful what I practice. For what I practice, I really become good at. The big book goes on on saying from pages 60 to 63 about self-will and God's will. It talks about how we are like actors trying to control every detail of a play. I would often play the head game, if only. If only others would do what I wanted them to do, then the show would be great. Life would be wonderful. But this wasn't reality. My show fell apart. I started to get irritated and agitated that nothing was going my way. I started pointing the finger. It's their fault. I had expectations of others to perform the way I wanted them to perform. I was so angry and confused. I could have had such a great show if only they did what I wanted them to do. Well, these are the very things that destroyed me. This is what I learned from these pages of the big book, that selfish and self-centeredness got me into trouble. This is what was blocking me my whole life. This is what I had to remove in order for me to have peace of mind. 
Self was the root of all my troubles. Not the food, not people, but my self-centeredness. I always made the wrong decisions because they were based on fear and self-seeking that would bring me in conflict with myself and with others. I was the creator of all my problems. Me, myself, and I were to blame. I had to get rid of capital letter I. This is what was killing me, and the only way to do that is with God's help. I cannot control people, places, things, and circumstances, but what I can control is my attitude and the way I respond. I didn't need to respond with bitterness and anger when a loved one would push my buttons. It's a decision not to allow my buttons to be pushed and to respond with compassion and love and to have a forgiving heart. Dealing with a difficult personality? Well, I say, bless them, change me. When I was wrong, I would apologize and not fight back. To listen and to accept others, love and tolerance has become my code of conduct, just as long as I hold his hand. I choose strength over weakness, forgiveness over blame, and show gratitude with my actions. My life on self-will is the very thing that would lead me back into the food. I can't solve my problem. I had to be honest with myself of who and what I am. Otherwise, I would have continued to believe in the lies and would have lost the ability to distinguish between the truth and a lie. I realized that when I believed my lies, I would move further away from God. So I had to practice on a daily basis being honest. I couldn't change what I didn't acknowledge. Hiding behind my addictions, whether it was food, shopping, thinking negative thoughts, or even chewing gum, would not change my reality. The only truth is that it would set me free. I surrendered and had the death of food in step one. Now I needed to begin the process of the death of self, and that's step three. And if I didn't do this step, it would lead me back into the food, for I would be separated from God, which is having a spiritual death. I had to have hope and, yes, believe in God. Without hope, I am left with nothing. I knew I had a purpose, but I didn't know what that was. Hope was the only thing I could hold on to. Hope is the anchor of my soul, my inner being. When I couldn't satisfy my emptiness with food or shopping, it was my soul that was shouting out for spiritual food. My soul had a spiritual hole. Nothing was ever enough for me. It was an endless hunger. It was God's food that I needed to satisfy me and fill me. I needed to fill my soul with God. This is what's centered into my soul that prevents me from drifting afar because of that constant tug that I get from God. That is what set me free with his unconditional love. So yummy, so satisfying, so comforting. So I am setting myself up now for a new position in my life. I am repositioning myself in my heart and in my mind and in my soul to allow myself to be governed and not to govern by practicing this new position to be selfless and more interested in others moves me away from self and closer to God. So how did I get rid of self-will? Well, as mentioned in the book, I had to quit playing God. I knew through my own experience it never worked. God was going to be my director. He is the father, and I am the child. Where 
I have to obey him. Just as a child obeys their parents, I would obey God. The very concept, this very concept is the key of the new triumphant arch through which we pass to freedom. Can I trust the process that others have gone through and received the promises? Am I willing to take such an extraordinary opportunity? Am I willing to go to any lengths to relieve me from the bondage of self? It's a decision that only I can make. It's a choice to want to shift into the light of the spirit or stay in the darkness of the disease. It was my willingness to believe and trust, to have an open mind and an open heart, to be teachable and not ask questions, but to listen and do. Trust is believing in something. Trust meant for me to surrender and to let go and grab onto something new. But when I allowed fear to enter, this kept me from surrendering. I needed to let go of my way of thinking and to connect with a greater power, an energy that will empower me to set me free. Step three is what will free me and support me through the rest of the steps. God provided what I needed. If I were to keep close to him and performed his work well, then the promises started to appear as outlined on page 63. I shifted my focus from self onto God and others. I felt empowered. I started to have a peace of mind. I was able to do what I never did before. Fear started to slip away. I was living in the now. God had a hold on me. Every day, I have so many opportunities to strengthen my faith and develop my character, only if I let him. I used to waste so much time and energy to figure out how to change the things I cannot change. My thoughts used to race, and there was no room for God to enter. I needed to pause and breathe, to inhale God and exhale self and create a space for God to enter and direct me. I had to have faith. My faith comes from my heart. In hearing what God is saying to me, he whispers to me, so I need to humble myself to quiet my ego. It's a spiritual understanding and not of the mind. It is the mind that has to be transformed to a spiritual mind. It is my faith that makes me certain in the things I cannot see. Faith was my acid test these past two weeks. I matched serenity with calamity. When I went to my mother-in-law's funeral, just two weeks ago, and just a couple of days ago, another funeral of someone very close to our family. How is it possible to function and to continue with life with such calamities? I know in my deepest heart they are, that they are both resting in the arms of God. I was standing on solid ground. I was able to be present for my husband, my children, and others. In the past, I wasn't able to deal with anything that came my way, let alone such calamities. You know, a pencil would roll off the table and I would freak out. Wow. What a long way that I came. And still, I have a long way to go. I had a different view from what I used to have. I changed from my old ways of thinking. I was able, with the help of God, to deal with meltdowns and calamities and physical and emotional pain and clashing personalities. These are the results of my transformation, a metamorphosis from bitterness to a grateful heart, from confusion to a sense of direction. 
So now I had to continue to still make more decisions. Was I ready to go on? Can I surrender to God? I was ready to commit and be accountable. The third step prayer is an affirmation of my decision. I was advised by my sponsor to kneel at my face-to-face meeting and commit myself to God with the group as my witness, as the first 100 recovered men and women did. God, I offer myself to thee to build with me and to do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self that I may better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power, thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. While I have surrendered my thoughts, words, and actions to God, and I'm ready for God to take over my life, I'm willing to change, to do things differently, to do his will and not mine, and to work through me any way he wants to. I'm willing to cooperate with him because it was proven that my self-will blocked me off from God. Self is my problem, and he will relieve me from that so I can be useful to him and to others. I got so tired of trying to solve my own problems, so I turned it over to God. This is humility. I had to give up control and learn to trust God. I would practice this many times throughout the day. Thy will, not mine, be done. I had a conflict with my husband. I would give it to God. I was putting myself down again. I would give that thought to God. Things didn't go my way. I had to give it to God. I was depressed. I would give it to God. My pride had to be crushed. Pride blocked me from the light of the Spirit and had me in darkness for so long. When I humbly admitted that I needed God, that is when I was healed. I was taught that humility is to depend on God and less on self. This is how I quieted my ego, that I need God and that he is everything. Without this humility, I would continue to create my own problems that would lead me into my own depression. These were my consequences for not trusting God. My humility was growing, realizing I needed to depend on God every second of each day. This is what set me free from bondage of self because I wasn't going to survive on my own. I plugged myself into my internal generator, the real source of power that allows me today to be guided the right way of living a happy, joyous, and free life. This was my process of creating a totally new lifestyle for me to live. Excuse me. I grew up in the church believing in God, being influenced by my mother, a lady of prayer, Even though I carried the gift of God with me my whole life, I never knew what to do with that gift. I never knew how to live my life with all of my feelings, how to deal with life, until I found the right classroom to be teachable and be open to new ideas and thoughts. I was taught through the steps. I was taught how to untie the bow and unwrap the beautiful gift. I was finally taught how to use my gift. Today... I use my gift every day. I live in the present, and I am grateful. I was willing to be teachable and open to be connected with this gift of God's grace and not just carry a wrapped, unused gift. The most important thing to me today is to continue to grow in my relationship with God and to carry the vision of God's will in all my affairs. 
I am grateful for my spiritual eyes and ears. I see and hear and do things differently today. So until I changed, nothing did change. I made the decision to change, the decision to work on the growth of my spiritual condition. Was I done with making excuses and not grabbing the opportunity to grow? I made the decision to commit to change, to know what is right and to put it into action and become an instrument of God. I thank you once again for this opportunity to grow. I pass. Thank you, Irini. And now I welcome Katie G. to the line. Good morning, everyone. My name is Katie G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Grateful to be here. Abstinent by the grace of God. It's Sunday morning. It's 8.51 a.m. I can tell you what I ate yesterday. I can tell you what I did and what I did not steal. I can tell you who I was with. All these things I never want to take for granted. Um, Sunday mornings in my life um, prior to coming into this program uh, were pretty devastating. I woke up with a feeling of shame, guilt, and remorse and, oh, explicative. What have I eaten now? What did, did I go out? Did I not? Who did I talk to? Who did I sleep with? Um, they were pretty devastating. You know, I never wanted to wake up, and today I, uh, I welcome every opportunity to wake up. Thank you, God. Um, so I guess a little bit about my, my compulsive overeating history. Um, I never felt like it was okay to be me, right? Like my earliest memories are this feeling of vacancy inside of me and um, this feeling like wherever I'm at, it's not the right place. And this disease of more, this feeling that if I could just get the right parents and put them in the right, give, give me the right family, if I could just move to the neighbors, then I would be okay, right? Like if I could just have what you have, then I'll be happy never content with who I was, never never comfortable in my own skin. So early on, I thought that food was my problem, and what I know now is food was my solution. It was the only solution I ever knew, right? Because if I have this disease of more and I'm constantly going for it, food was a very easy, convenient thing to go to. You know, from my earliest memory, stealing food, shoving it into my mouth, um, it would blot out the voices in my head the voices of self-hatred, the voices of you're not good enough, the voices that took everything that was going on in my alcoholic life, um, my alcoholic household personally, um, you know, that made it all about me, right? Like if everything going on had to be about me. Um, And so I used food. Um, I used food. I used binging. I I eventually, um, as I got older, I, you know, I worshiped the God of being thin I took laxatives, I, I, I was bulimic, I was exercise bulimic, anything to get me out of my skin, anything to treat this malady that I had, like I need more, I'm not okay, you know, and that took me to a lot of dark places, I binged, I starved, um, I, was, I threw up, I drank Ipecac, uh, I was throwing up in, in downtown Northampton, Massachusetts, because I had taken in so many calories that I, had to, I thought I had to drink Ipecac, right? And I just thought if I could control and enjoy my eating, I would be okay, right? But what I didn't know is that I couldn't control it. You know, every time I controlled it, I couldn't stop myself from starting again. So I, I came into the rooms of Overeaters Anonymous, and I didn't want an answer. I wanted a diet. I did not want to come into a program called Overeaters Anonymous and then come on 
Like, I'm not an overeater. Like, how unsexy is this? Like, like what I did with food and, and exercise and laxatives was so sexy. But, like, here I am not wanting to join Overeaters Anonymous. So I fought it for a really long time. And I finally surrendered to the diet, right? And that's where the problem began. Because I thought, okay, so where's my stuff, right? And um, I, I, um, I was abstinent for a very long time. Um, but I was not able to rest satisfaction and happiness, and I did a lot of damage. I was in relationships with people that I shouldn't be in. I was at jobs. I had four different jobs with the same title called manager, and I was fired. I was being brought down to the boss's office and said, Katie, you can't talk to people that way. Do you know that? And I didn't because I was so self-obsessed. And I was convinced if you just did what I told you, then life would be okay. And when life wasn't okay, it was because things were not going my way. And I thought that my solution was to fill up on more, to like keep filling and filling and filling my life, like husband, money, stuff. And the crazy thing about this program is that we don't get better by filling up we get better by subtraction, by taking away. Like my cure today is, is being relieved of the bondage of me, of like all my schemes and designs. So I was brought to a second surrender, right? I heard a message of depth and weight. I was in absence. I was in a thin body, and I was like, come on, God. Where is my husband, you know? And I was filled with resentment at this married man who is in a relationship with me, and he, and he wasn't proposing marriage to me after a year. Well, Katie, how do you propose marriage to someone if they're still married? <laughs> so like, right? And then my friends, oh, okay, I know how to be friends with someone because I hate everybody. I hate you if you're blonde. I hate you if you have big boobs. I hate you if, you if you're fat. I hate you if you're thinner than me. And most significantly, I hate you if you have something that I don't have because you're a competition and this is a, this is a really – finite world and I got to fight you. So do you hear God in any of that? Like, was I in a 12-step program? I don't think so. You know, and so I couldn't rest satisfaction and happiness. So I came to this work, right? And um, my sponsor and I, when we got to this chapter, like we had spent a good long time reviewing, okay, so Katie, how's it working? Like Dr. Phil says, how's it working living on self, right? And I saw, like, uh, like, I had so much evidence on what my life run on self was like. You know, what this life go, going on, going on my, what I wanted. You know, um, living life on, okay, what do I want? Okay, now I'm going to go out and get it and watch out because I'm a hammer and the world's a nail and I am going to hammer you down. So I had to be convinced, right? It says, being convinced, it says that twice on page 60. Okay, any life run on self-will. And, you know, I didn't think I was selfish. I was trying to please you. I was trying to make you happy. It had nothing to do with what I wanted for you. I wanted to be happy. The only reason why I cared about you is because if you were happy, then maybe you'd give me something, right? Um, and, you know, I had to be convinced, yes, you know, my sponsor and I, we got to the ABCs listed on page 60, A, that I am a food addict and I cannot manage my own life. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I was beaten down in my life. I saw. Like, I'm not going anywhere. Like, I got 
fired from my last job and my butt was on fire to do this work, right? So I got to step three and I didn't realize, like, all of a sudden I was like, okay, I'll take step three and then I'll be cured. But you know what? The most important thing about step three is that right after, right, we stay the third step prayer, how quickly should we do a house cleaning? Well, let's see. It says next. Next is pretty fast, you guys. Though our decision, which means a decision is to cut away all options, and my sponsor and I cut away all my other options by going through the unmanageability of my life when I was eating and when I was abstinent. You know, it's a vital and crucial step, absolutely. You know, I realized I could not manage my own life, and and the only thing I knew, I didn't know about God, but the only thing I knew is that the way I was living my life wasn't working. But it could have little permanent effects. So, Katie, you're screwed. You cannot stop at step three. If we could take step three at step three, we would have a three-step program, right? But I need to at once, followed by a strenuous effort to face and be rid of the things in our lives which have been blocking us. And what's blocking me? Self-propulsion, moving forward by my own momentum. I'm self-seeking, selfishness, which is concerned excessively with myself, self-delusion, which is a false psychotic belief. How many false psychotic beliefs did I have? You know, people call it denial. No, like I would find a relationship with a man and I would be like, yeah, he has like two characteristics. I'll ignore the fact that he's still legally married, but he'll become the way I want him to become. And then I'm mad at him a year later when he's not the person I want him to be. He didn't misrepresent himself. I misrepresented him in my self-delusion. Self-seeking, pursuing, determined pursuit of my own ends and interests. Self-pity, self-indulgent, dwelling on my sorrow and misfortune. Like, I don't know about you all, but I prefer the words depression. Because at least with depression, I can get medication. And the most important thing, it says self-centeredness is the root of me. Self-centeredness. So I, like the root, like that's where all things grow. And I was, I was smashed down. I saw I was living in the bedevilments. I could not maintain a job, right? This is all in my thin body. I can't maintain a job. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot. Like, this is not, like, some small thing. And then people, you know, I've heard it said there's no requirements, there's no must. Um, there is a requirement. We must be, the first requirement is that I be convinced that any life run on me cannot be a success. Because when it is, I am stepping on the toes of my fellows and retaliating. Like, I'm at work, and I'm pissed off because these people are not following what I tell them to do. And I am talking in a very condescending manner. But I don't realize it because I'm so convinced this is the way to do it. My way is the way to do it. Just do it. And then two weeks later, when they are, you know, not giving me the time of day because I've been unkind to them, I'm surprised. I'm surprised that they're not being caught. Well, I've stepped on their toes, and they're retaliating. But I'm unmindful of, of that, you know, seemingly without provocation. Well, when I, when, I, when I went through, when I did the work that's required to take step three, which is step four through nine, I saw how many toes did I step on? How many people did I dismiss because in my mind they were better than me because they had the stuff that I wanted? And I'm telling myself, if you had my life, you would not feel as badly as I feel. You know, and so I have to take this vital step. You know, I have to make a decision. And I was totally convinced that I, you know, that, that, that the way I had been living my life was not working. Um, you know, going on, so I, 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 at this point, I, um, I, took, 
I went through the first three steps with my sponsor in a weekend. We held hands and we took the third step. And the most important thing she said to me is she said, you are committing to doing the work with me and God. And when you're done, you're committed to helping others, right? Because it's not my job today to worry about me. My primary purpose is to help others. And the only reason I'm able to help others today is because I'm immersed in the structure of life. Like, I am plagued by self, guys, sometimes. Like, you know, we wouldn't have 10, 11, and 12 if I could just offer myself to God. But when I took that step with my sponsor, I was so defeated that I, that I took it. You know, I, w- I was entirely convinced, and I went through, and I saw how messy my life was. And these beautiful promises, they started to come through for me, but they, they really came through of having a new employer, feeling the new power flow in, enjoying peace of mind, facing life successfully, become conscious of his presence. That didn't happen right away. So if it's not happening to you today and you're like, well, where is, why am I not taking the, I'm taking the third step, here I am. Well, we have to face and be rid of the things that are blocking us. And so for me today, you know what? Like I don't always wake up Susie Sunshine, but I know that I've recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. You know, every day, no matter what, like I've seen that all the people on my resentment list that had what I wanted, like when I'm so focused on that, it's because I'm not wanting to play the role God assigned. And if I look around my life, like my life is better than anything I could have ever imagined, you know? And when I focus on other people, God takes care of my life, Um, you know? And so step three was really about surrendering to God And, you know, like my biggest problem today is not what's happening around me. It's my judgment. And I am not as consumed with myself, but it still comes up. And what do I do? What is my solution? Every, every, like every page practically in this book tells us our solution. Help others. You know, so I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do, I get on my knees. Second thing, I'm on the phone talking to my sponsee. How can I help her today? You know, I talk to women throughout the day, trying to connect with them, find out how they're doing. You know, how can I be helpful to God? And that's when I really know, like, I am the most in with God when I am with other people. And that disease of more is is quieted when I am helping others. And that is my primary purpose. You know, it's not to serve me. It's not to help me and support me. And other people's behavior doesn't matter, you know. But I had to get down to the causes and conditions that were blocking us, and I still do. And that is why, you know, I talk about, you know, these ABCs. I can get stuck at D looking for human power to fill me. And thank you, God, I have step 10 to remember. Okay, no human power, Katie, no human power. But you know what, it's like I join the human race when I do my step 10 and I see, okay, so, you know, I'm not perfect. Um, but today I, I can, I can ask, I can give myself to God with complete abandon, which means to give myself unreservedly. And I hope that you too can find this path because it is the, the best. These steps, staying it one day at a time in these steps are the best thing, the best gift that has ever been given to me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Katie. And now I welcome Robin to the line. Good morning, Robin. 
Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision, for you. My name is Robin, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. I've been an OA member for 22 years. Um, the last 12 years of my um, membership in OA, I've been abstinent. I've been recovering from the disease of compulsive overeating, and I've been doing that because I'm living the program um, that's laid out in the AA Big Book, which I'm going to refer to as we're talking, as I'm talking now. Um, I'm here to talk about step three, and that means that I've made it through steps one and two. Step one is uh, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Step three made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Uh, my history is that I started using food at about the age of 12, and I started using food to cope with my life. Um, there were some family changes that took place in my life that um, I have very little memory of my life before age 12, and I think that means that it was pretty good, that my life was pretty good. But after age 12, my memory is filled with events. And um, the events were scary. They were frightening. I was insecure all of the time. Uh, I, everything in my life, it was, like, it was like we were a bunch of, you know, um, cards, and we were taken out of our nice, neat little deck and just thrown to the wind. And um, because of that, I started turning to food. I learned that food would calm me down. It would ease my sense of um, distraction and fear and anxiety. Um, so I spent, you know, my, my childhood years like that. And then as I went into my early adulthood, I kept using food to calm and sedate me. And, and now I found myself married to an alcoholic and added children quickly. So life was filled with anxiety-provoking events. And, um, you know, so I thought, well, okay, the food worked a little bit, so maybe if I add a little bit more, then it'll work better. And then uh, I'd have to add more because I needed a little more help. I was, you know, gradually becoming desensitized to the food. So I'd, had to, I'd have to um, add more different foods, more eating behaviors, um, I was a compulsive overeater. I didn't have any issues with bulimia or anorexia. I just ate. And I ate because what food did to me was it tamped down my emotions. It calmed me down. It put a foggy cloud around me. It was like I had this big, it was like I was a Michelin tire man. I had this big, this big barrier around me that, that nobody could get through and nobody could touch. And um, people bounced off me, but I was protected underneath it as long as I was eating. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of discomfort and stress to eat over because um, the things that were disturbing me were the facts of other people's lives. <laughs> there were a lot of other people in my life, and they were all making me miserable because, uh, you know, I was requested to help. Or if I wasn't requested to help, I would think that I needed to help and try to figure out their problems and try to fix them. And they just weren't behaving. 
because they had lives of their own. I realize now when I look back that I was totally unable to identify with other people. Um, I, it was not possible for me to understand another person's reality. It was really impossible for me to empathize. And at the time, I didn't get that. I thought that I was a very sensitive feeling person, but I was only sensitive and feeling in the way that I was affected by them. Um, I wasn't sensitive and feeling in the fact that maybe I would be able to figure out what they're going through and to allow them to have that reality. Um, so, you know, it was just really impossible for me to grasp that their lives were every bit as important as mine. I thought they should put me first. I thought they should take care of me. I was terrifically overly sensitive and prickly, and anything that another person said, um, I would always see something in it that um, that they were harming me in some way. I thought they should take care of me, and I also thought that I should take care of them. And I just had everything backwards. Um, so, you know, I, I during this period of time, I also did a lot of self-help stuff, and I had a whole lot of self-knowledge and intelligence. Um, and, and now I'm talking about not only prior to coming into OA, but that first 10 years that I was in OA where um, I had no sense of recovery at all. And, you know, what I, what I was really doing was using my intelligence and knowledge. Um, and what I didn't realize at the time was that I was using my brain to try to figure out how to fix my brain. I was using a sick brain to try to come up with a solution for itself. Um, I happened to have a niece who has struggled with mental health issues, really severe depression for years, and the only thing that's ever worked for her is electroshock therapy. And about four or five days ago, she went back into the hospital because she just couldn't um, lick the feeling that she needed to commit suicide and she put herself into the hospital and we just found out yesterday that for the first time electroshock therapy is not working for her and this is very frightening for her parents but the, the reason I bring it up is because she understood her sick brain couldn't possibly come up with a solution she went where she needed to go to get the help that she needed because her sick brain was incapable of fixing itself, and she understood that. And for me, it took 48 years to finally get to that point where I could understand or grasp a little bit, my sick brain is not working for me. My sick brain is not able to come up with a solution. My sick brain is not able to figure out how to do this the food was poisoning my brain to such an extent that it was like I was in survivalist mode all the time. I was only thinking uh, my brain was trying to keep itself alive. Um, I would lie, steat, and steal, or I, mean, I would lie, um, cheat, and steal in order to get what I thought I needed in order to survive. Usually that was food, but very often it was manipulating you, getting you to do things my way so that you'd take care of me. And I knew how at odds I was with the world. You know, I tried other 12-step programs also along with OA to help me. Um, but I just couldn't seem to crack the code. And um, then somebody suggested that I actually put down the food and see what happened. You know, I'd been in OA for 10 years and I hadn't put down the food. Um, I was trying to work the steps. 
and hoping that the food would follow with the working of the steps. And somebody actually said, mm, no, put down the food first. And, um, you know, what she did was she directed me to page 62, where I will go right now in the big book. So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourselves. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will-run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. And, you know, normally, I mean, I, I couldn't possibly think so because I was thinking with that sick brain again. So, you know, this was the fork in the road I found myself at, June 14, 2001, when I finally, um, finally made the decision to actually work this program to actually work this program in the way it was put in the book without um, without changing the steps, without skipping the steps, um, starting, first I put down the food, and slowly I woke up. My brain got quieter and a little bit quieter and then a little bit quieter, and I could see that my vision had been very warped. And if that was the case, then I needed a guide. This is steps one and two. I was, you know, thoroughly convinced that what I had been doing all this time wasn't working for me anymore at all. Um, so there I was at step three. I need help. I needed to get out of my way. I needed to put somebody else in charge of my education, just like my niece Monica I needed to put somebody else in charge. I needed to be reparented. And, you know, I knew from long experience that left on my own, left to my own devices, I was just a mess. And I've seen this in action around me in my little community. Um, you know, many times people think, okay, I'm thinking better. Now I can do it on my own. And before long, their thinking is just as bad as it was you know, a long time ago when they first put down the food and then possibly relapsed. But, you know, my my um, my process, the important thing for me is to stay in this position of, yes, I will go back to that mess of thinking if I uh, pick up the way I used to live. So the mess of thinking, resenting, overreacting, it was always my thinking that was the culprit. I didn't start eating compulsively just because sugar tasted so good, although I thought that was the case. I started eating compulsively because it seemed to help me when I was um, living in hell as a child. And then the food took on more and more importance, more and more importance, and then, I, then it was impossible for me to live without it. So, okay, my thinking is the culprit. And, you know, um, so convinced, you know, I was convinced of my powerlessness, clean from my substance and ready to be reparented, and I made my decision. And my decision was to turn my will and my life over to a power greater than myself. There was nothing more that was needed for step three, nothing more. I don't even know that I really believed in God at the time. I do know that I believed in the power of AA, of this program, OA. That was a power much greater than me because I could see that there was recovery there. I could see in that room that there were people, and on the phone, 
that there were people who were really living healthy lives. They were full of life. There was joy there. There was laughter. They were dealing with their issues. They weren't eating. You know, that was just the very tip of the iceberg. There was so much more underneath it that was um, living in the world, um, being at peace with the world. And that doesn't mean that things were going beautifully for them all the time. It meant that they knew what to do when they hit a rocky road. They knew where to go to get the help, to get through a tough situation. So I could see that. And I could have faith in that, that it was working for them. So I could believe that maybe it would work for me too. So I made a decision to um, fully invest myself in this program, which moving on is steps four through nine, because I can't just sit here at step three. Now I need to learn how to um, get down to causes and conditions, or I'm going to go right back out there. Just sitting in step three isn't going to do it. All it does is it opens the door. It prepares me so that I can actually learn how to do the work how to do the, the steps four through nine, how to get to the bottom of my issues so that I can become a changed person, so that my higher power can change my personality, so that I don't need to go back to the food, so that I can live in the world undisturbed. It was a leap of faith. And when I was in, um, when I got to the third step back 12 years ago when I was working through these steps the first time around, my sponsor had me um, memorize the third step prayer. And I have been so thankful of that. The third step prayer is, God, I offer myself to thee, to build with me and do with me as thou wilt. Relieve me of the bondage of self, that I might better do thy will. Take away my difficulties, that victory over them may bear witness to those I would help of thy power thy love, and thy way of life. May I do thy will always. And what an amazing thing it is to be able to just call that up as I'm driving down the road and there's somebody who's honking at me, as I'm standing in line and there's you know five babies crying around me and I'm standing there for half an hour, um, as one of my family members is sick or you know I'm, I'm sitting with a decision, Knowing the third step prayer and being able to bring it to the front of my of my brain is is an amazing thing, and it's it's I think it's a good thing to do. <clears throat> but you know, I I mean, I was listening to Edini talk about a door, and I have a a vision of this great big huge city that has a big stone wall around it, you know, like a thick ancient wall made of stone and. There's just this huge door in the wall that's maybe 20 feet tall. And um, inside of that wall, inside of that city, there's safety. And, you know, I can cross through, I can enter that door and cross into the safety of that city, or I can stay out here where I'm taking care of myself. And it's not working so good. But if I go inside that city, there's, there's so much help. There's so much companionship and beauty and love. And um, that's what the third step process feels like to, to me. I, I throw my lot in. I enter into that community and I, I become a part of it. I can trust that what's on the inside is better than what I'm leaving on the outside. Um, 
And in there, I'm going to learn how to live a life that I've never lived before. So, you know, it's a decision. It's just a decision. And then we're going to help, you know, anybody who's out there and is working with a sponsor. Your sponsor hopefully will help you then move through steps four through nine so that um, you have a different way of, of reacting and interacting with people and reacting on life. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Robin. Thank you to all three of our speakers this morning, Irini, Katie G., and Robin B. We thank you. Now we give everyone on the line an opportunity to ask any questions of our panelists this morning, and you can do so by pressing star 1 to unmute. Any questions this morning related to step 3? Hi, this is Maria from Connecticut. Can I ask a question? Yes, go ahead. I'm just wondering what daily, um, what you do daily, each of you, to keep spiritually fit. Um, this is Katie from Boston. I can answer that question. Go ahead, Katie. Um, I do what I what the directions in this book. Uh, are you know when I first took step three um, I loved how the previous speaker talked about the significance of the third step I actually um, when I took it holding hands with my sponsor on my knees um, we said the prayer out loud and we held on to this necklace that I have um, and it's a particularly significant necklace and um, and it started this practice of like whenever I am disturbed. Um, I would just go into the bathroom and get on my knees and hold my necklace and say a third-step prayer, and I don't, I don't go anywhere anymore without this um, necklace. So um, I follow the instructions on 84 to 88. So like upon awakening, um, the minute I wake up, the minute I open my eyes, I think about the 24 hours ahead. I ask God to um, separate my thinking, you know, and help me, help me to get through the day. And I mindfully think about, you know, what. I just take quiet time with God, right? Like thinking about what's what's going to happen in my day, and God, here are my fears, um, and and help me, you know. And I think about the times that I'm really, I'm I'm scared about, and try and turn that over. I talk to my sponsor and my sponsees, not every day, but um, I definitely have a couple of sponsees I talk to, and then I live my life, right? Like that's that's where I need to practice this work the most, as I go out there and live my life. And I stumble. I make a lot of mistakes. Like last week, I had to call a woman because my landlord accused me of backing into an air conditioner, and he got in my way on a really bad day, and I lied to him. I was like, no, I didn't do it. So immediately, I got on, I, I, I got on the phone, and I told someone. I did a third 10 step, and, uh, and I called the guy back. I told him I lied. You know, so I just, I, I live this program. I go to my, my committed meetings. Um, and I try and help others. Um, and, and then at night, you know, I do my nightly inventory. Um, a lot of times I'll write it and send it to a program person. Sometimes, you know, I'm not perfect and I do it in my head. Um, and, and sometimes I, like, kind of pass for, for spiritually normal. And sometimes I'm just staying abstinent no matter what. And <laughs> that is the most important thing for me because if I'm not abstinent, I don't have the privilege of even coming close to connecting with God. But there's no right or wrong here, right? Like we're all just 
our own experiences and, and my suggestion is the most successful I've ever been is when I follow the instructions as they're laid out in the book, which is, you know, helping others. Thank you. Any this is Robin. Other? I can answer that too. Um, or I can ahead, tell Robin. You, sure. I can tell you my experience. Okay. I can tell you my experience with it. Um, I've been abstinent now for 12 years, and my spiritual life has has changed quite a bit over that time. Um, in the beginning, it was really important for me to have a set routine just so that I could learn how to uh, get quiet and centered. And um, <clears throat> what I did was I had a couple of prayers that I just memorized, and I would say them as I was just driving down the street or out in the world. And then sometimes I would find that it, we had a couple of days had gone by and I hadn't even thought about prayer and I hadn't even thought about God and I was feeling um, restless, irritable, and discontent. You know, so I'd pull the prayer back into my into you know uh, my memory and repeat that. Um, over time, I returned to uh, the religion of my childhood and that's opened up some stuff too. But most recently, my husband passed away a year ago and it really. Um, turned everything around in my life again. I found myself with this big, huge, wide open uh, uh, capacity to understand God again because of what had just happened. And for me, I I think it takes something sometimes kind of, um, sometimes it can take something big to find your own spirituality um, and for me, that's very much the case. But what I did when I, when I was going through it, I found a prayer that really worked for me. And now I say it sometimes um, five, six times in an hour during the day. And that prayer is just, God, I'm yours and I trust you. And that's all I need to do now to remember my higher power and to bring my higher power into my moment. Um, so I do that, but I also meditate a lot. Um, because in order for me to stay calm and centered, it's necessary for me to have a quiet place to go and turn off the world. So it it can be, you know, a prayer that you just repeat. Um, I think everybody has a different way of, of accessing their higher power. Some people go out and touch a tree. You know, I very often find my higher power when I'm out walking in nature. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Robin. And Irini? Did you want to add anything to that? It's Irini. Um, Thank you for the question. Um, I get up as soon as I open up my eyes. I have a grateful heart, and I say, thank you, God. And I say my prayers, and I meditate. And I um, then go on the phone with my sponsees, and then I have a prayer group line. And then I listen to the vision for you. And then I go and I'm ready to um, exercise my, I, ex, I just exercise my mind, um, then exercise my body and my soul by um, exercising. And then um, I, and throughout my whole day, I am in the presence of God. I am very, very God conscious throughout the day. And when I say that, I say it so when um in the shower, he's with me. When I'm cooking, he's with me. Um, he's in the car with me. He's everywhere with me. Yes, I do let go of his hand, and that's when I get into my 
head, and, and that's when the lights go out. But then it gets so uncomfortable, I grab onto his hand once again, and I start dancing with him throughout the day. There's a lot of prayer. Prayer is talking to God constantly, constantly. Um, and I started, I mean, this is a practice that I developed throughout throughout you know the years and I started by just praying you know during the meals at the beginning of each meal and it just increases as you practice you just just increases and then to meditate I can meditate when I take my dog running in the woods I that's an active meditation for me um, there's also quiet meditation for me throughout the day where I have to, if I'm seeing that I'm being very overwhelmed by life, I need to stop, put my brakes on and stop and just be in in that silent mode, just stand, standing still. Because once I'm still, he comes right in and just melts everything away. It's just such such a miracle. It's it's beautiful. And um, yes, be watch my 10th step throughout the whole day and be very aware of my uh, um, spot checking of um, when I get into my character defects. And I do step 11 every night religiously with a partner. And, um, and uh, so I, so I'm able to give everything that I've done um, at the end of the evening away and I can wake up once again with a clean slate and that's such a blessing. Thank you and I pass. Thank you to the panelists. Thank you, Marie, for the question. Anyone else this morning with a question related to step three? Star one to unmute. Yes, Leah, I'm sorry, it's not a question. Can I ask for Edini's phone number, please? It's Miriam from Israel. Uh, she is on the contact list, and perhaps we'll do that after the recording. Thank you. Thank you. Um, hi, this is Maria in Alabama. Yes, go ahead. Um, I... I do the third step prayer every morning and the seventh step prayer, and I'm not sure how do I know I have actually turned my life over to God. It just I get the feeling that I go through the day self will run riot even though I do say the prayers, and I'm not sure what's going on there. <laughs> Any help? Thank you for the question. Go ahead, Adini. Well, it's not just saying the prayer. It's living the prayer. It's feeling the prayer. It's inhaling the prayer. So when um, when you're saying the prayer, um, what do you do afterwards? Is it with you throughout the day? Do you carry that without the day? Do you think about it? Or is it just you say it and then you go on to your, you know, in doing other things, um, it's about really acting out what we say. It's bringing whatever is in our head into our hearts and into our souls, and 
and and living it. It's do you surrender when you're in in conflict with somebody, or are you do you um, do you pause and do you surrender and listen to what God would have you be, or do you do you retaliate? That's how you can tell if you're if you're pausing and doing what God's telling you to do, doing the right thing and not what you feel like doing, then you know that you're doing God's will. If you're doing the right thing, if you're doing what you feel like doing, then you are doing what your ego is telling you to do. And that's the big battle between feelings and doing the right thing, between self, being self-will, and being God. In God's will. Did I answer your question? This is Robin. I'd like to say something to you, yeah. if I may. Thank you. Um, if you're Thank you, Rudini. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I'm sorry. Um, I just would like to point out that this is the third step that we're talking about. And for me, it did not come just because I prayed. I mean, my whole life didn't change and I got better just because I... Um, made it through step three step three was um was the opening of the door that allowed me to understand that i needed the help that was going to teach me how to learn about my character defects and um because without that process my personality isn't going to change i spent many years praying to god and and really believing, I mean, I'm sure that I was, you know, I had a connection with my higher power, but it didn't change who I was. It was just a dialogue with my higher power. And what we're talking about in our steps is that it's a process of opening up so that um, I can get the, um, the help, find the ability to use the steps laid out in the, in the, 12, in the AA Big Book to get down to causes and conditions, to find out why I react to people the way I do, to find out how I'm selfish, self-centered, um, and, and to work on those. And that, it, so for me, that's not just about prayer. Um, it, it opens the door to the ability to move on and work steps four through nine, which is where the personality change comes, which is where I find my life changing. So with that, I'm, I'll pass. And I'm sorry, Edini, that I interrupted. I will try not to do that again. <laughs> Thank you, Robin and Irini. Thanks again, Marie, for the question. Anyone else with any questions related to Step 3 this morning? Star 1 to unmute. Jump in, the water is warm. Um, hi, I'll talk. This is Ronnie from Pennsylvania. Welcome. Go ahead. 
Hi. I don't have a question, just have a realization that's kind of come as I'm listening to everyone, um, to the speakers, which uh, thank you so much. Um, extraordinary service, and you just have such powerful insights. Um, you know, steps one through three are about making a decision, and four through nine are about putting steps one through three into action, and there's even a chapter in the big book called Into Action. And so without action, steps one through three, as beautiful as they are, are only um, an idea. They're faith. Um, when we put them into action, our faith becomes perfect. And I actually saw that in a Bible reading. Um, I'm not particularly religious as the Bible is concerned, but my sponsor had me doing you know, sort of a writing exercise, and I looked into this, and I thought, God, the idea that perfect faith is when we believe, and then we believe enough to act on that belief. And um, so just wanted to share that. Um, that's all. Thank you so much. Uh, love a vision for you. Cannot believe the extraordinary service it is. It is helping me heal every day. So thank you. Thank you. Anyone else with questions this morning related to step three? Hi, my name is Sarah Grace, and I'd like to ask a question if anybody who wants to answer it. And um, I don't know if it really makes sense, but it's like, how did you have a sense that you really had worked step three? Now, I know you continue to work it, but how did you know that you really, really had a sense? You know, what were the signs? That you that you had a sense of you know really getting um, really clean and clear with step three, and I just have to say this this um, meeting has just been so amazing and every, you know I mean during the week as well but the Sunday meeting I mean it's like I'm sitting at the edge of my seat I take notes um, you know the wisdom you know just really is just so helpful thank you all for your shares today and for you, moderator. Um, thank you for being here as well and everybody because for me, I can't do it alone and I'm grateful for the wisdom of all of you. Thank you, I pass. This is Katie from Boston. Go ahead, Katie. So, I don't know. Like, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater but I've always been, like, really into feelings and really into, like, emotionality and um, I think I wanted, like, a bright light, right? Like, I wanted to know. Like, I've also always been afraid, like, I'm not doing things right. And if I could just get someone to tell me what the right feelings are, then, you know, then maybe I'll be right and maybe I'll get it right. And I did a lot of thinking. And so what I've learned is is that, you know, like um, my previous speakers or um, colleagues or what, what have you, my fellow servers have, have said, like, it's all about action, right, like into action. And um, I didn't really start to feel step three until I had been completely made aware in steps four through nine of the direct nature, the causes and conditions of everything that had been blocking me. And um, and at that point, like, one, you know, I slowly... I've had a spiritual um, awakening of the educational variety. And it's just little glimpses. It's things like, um, you know, I think about others. Um, I know when people's birthdays are. I never knew when people's birthdays were before. I didn't care. Like, I really didn't. But, um, you know, or I've seen miracles, you know, relating to my dad. Um, 
my stepbrother is an active alcoholic, and, and, and I had many resentments against him, um, you know, because I was jealous that he was living at home and that my parents were funding him and that he was drinking. Well, I can hang out with my dad today and not be the I know guy, right? You know, or when things happen in my life, it's like, okay, God, you know, the, the problem isn't what's happening, it's me judging it. And so it's like a shift in perception, um, a, you know, a willingness to continually seek, you know, God's will and say, okay, well, God's either going to bless it or block it. And so it's becoming more God-centered than Katie-centered. But there hasn't, and there can be bright lights for people that just hasn't been my experience. And I, I guess, so I guess for me, it's like, um, just slow and steady, you know, like I, um, I've heard it said, like, you can't, you can't see your own growth. It's like watching hair grow, you know what I mean? Like, it's a pretty slow process for, for us, but like, you know, other people have commented, um, and I, and I, it's okay to be me today, you know, because of the process of steps four through nine, I'm not afraid to be me and live with God and say, okay, God, it's up to you. I'm going to turn my will on my life. Like you build with me and do with me. I'll get out of the way. And I still hit my head against the wall a hundred times in certain areas that I can be agnostic on, but I just keep coming back to God, you know, so it just keeps coming back to that decision over and over and over again that has to be followed by action. But that's just my experience. Thank you. This is Sharon in Colorado. May I share? One moment, Sharon. Did any of the other okay. panelists want to attend to Sarah Grace's oh. question? Yes, it's Irini. Irini, go ahead. Yes. Um, so with step three, you know, I was I felt relieved that um, it was just that I had to make a decision, and it was like holding my breath up to. It was just a release for me because all I had to do was a decision and I knew that I was entering into like a, a beginning of a long process to have this this death of self be you know, become reality for me. And um and that was going through the steps. And um you know, so I was um as it was said before, steps four through nine was going to teach me how to remove everything that was being blocked by this awesome light of the spirit and that I was going to come out of my darkness. Uh, four through six, actually, you know, we face what I was, uh, what we were blocked with. And then seven through nine is whatever those were blocking, we get rid of them. And then, you know, steps 10 and 12, you know, I was trained of how to keep God's will, you know, how to keep my will um, and into God's hands. And so it was first identifying and then, you know, removing self and then keeping God's will and then um, maintaining that. And, um, and step three to me means that God is taking care of me. He loves me and he's always going to... Um, take care of me so I should relax and take it easy and to trust and and to rely and that's very comforting for me it's very comforting for me thank you I pass thank you Irini and thank you to Sarah Grace for the question now let's move on to Sharon go ahead Sharon with your question 
Thank you, Can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Okay, thank you. Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, I just wanted to say thank you to each one of the speakers, uh, Adini and Katie and Robin. Um, I, I've heard you quite often on the uh, daily as well, and I just want to let you know how much it means to me that each one of your stories have, have uh, touched my life, and God has used your stories to touch my life. And the, um, the step three, um, I think it was something that was shared, um, <clears throat> I believe by you, Robin, but anyway, it was a set-aside prayer because I had been in the room for many years, had experienced uh, recovery and blessings in many areas, and then I had a lot of calamities kind of all uh, stock, uh, stack up in a row, and I began to go back into the fear and the doubt, and it wasn't until I started listening to this meeting, uh, which was a year ago last July, that I could understand finally, you know, God got through this sick head of mine again, that I had never totally surrendered to the seriousness of this uh, hopeless state of mind and body, the obsession of the mind and the physical allergy of the body. And that was not going to be different unless I worked this program just like I'd worked it in another uh, program. And so that is the gift that I've received. And, and I uh, am doing the step four uh, with the recovered sponsor now. We do step four and five over the phone a couple times a week for a couple hours. And for those of you that are that are like me and struggled, it was a blessing to hear um, a set-aside prayer because I was told I just had to set aside everything I thought I knew about this disease, about God, about myself. And I say that prayer every single time uh, before doing the step work. And it has, it has just... Um, shown me where my mind had gone again into that down that dark road and and yet I also have this hope that is going to, you know, take me to what I hear from these people that are on the line that are recovered and that I, I will be given the opportunity down the road to do the same thing. So I just want to thank each and every one of you and I have each one of your phone numbers but I assume probably at the end of the meeting I would like to get Katie G's. I do not have her number. But thank you, and God bless you. I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Anyone with any questions related to Step 3 this morning? Questions for our panelists, please. Going once. This is Colleen, a compulsive overeater. I have a question. Go ahead, um, Colleen. I've done step three, but just like yesterday, I was at the park with family, friends, and I realized I was right in the middle of self-stuff again. And how do you backpedal when you realize that you slip back into it and you're trying to run the show and the realization hits you what do you do to backpedal out of that and find that peace in the moment when you desperately need it and you're you're in a mess? This is Katie from Boston. 
Thank you, you Colleen, me? for the question. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I just wanted to make sure. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what 1011, that's what 1011 are, right, are about, right? That's why I shared about my landlord, how I lied to him. And, um, I mean, I can list off plenty of other times when self comes up, right? Because, like, I'm a naturally fearful person. And even though I'm recovered from a hopeless state of mind and body, myself comes up, right? So the, the book gives us really clear directions. So I pause. Um, if I've got a resentment, um, I do a turnaround as it's laid out, asking myself, where am I being selfish, dishonest, self-centered, and afraid? I call another recovered compulsive overeater. I share it with her. I ask for feedback. And then I ask God to remove my fear. Specifically, I'll often do a fear turnaround because my fears are, you know, filled with the, um, or what propel the resentment. Um, and then I ask God to remove my fear and direct my attention to what he would have me be, which a lot of me getting in touch with God is about being in the present moment, right? Like mm. in his presence. If you want to get, if you want to be with God, if you want to be with the present, the present of God, get in the present moment, right? Um, that's what I've been taught. And so, you know, my suggestion is, you know, if you have done the work with your sponsor that you follow those directions, if you haven't, you know, that's certainly something, um, you know, if you don't know how to do the turnarounds, it's certainly a great time to make a phone call to get on your knees and ask God. Um, you know, I often say to God, God, this is where I'm wounded. I need a shift in per- perception. Help me have that shift. Um, and with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank this you. This is Robin. Robin, go ahead. Um, hi. I just I I remember somebody telling me early on in my recovery that the only step that I can do with 100% perfection is the first step. And I'm glad she told me that really early on because it helped me as I was moving forward to know that I'm not just going to do the third step once. I'm not going to get good at it and um then never have to do it again. It's it's a constant in my life. Um, just recently I was uh, talking to a professional about something that was going on in my life, and she knows about my spiritual life, and she said, tell me what the third step prayer is again. And she's not a 12-step person, but she knows me well enough to know that my spirit, my higher power is who, that's how my show is run today, through my higher power. And I, I mean, you know, that's all it took. It was like one person saying that reminded me, oh, my gosh, you know, I was taking charge again. I was running the show. And in that split second, I was able to say, okay, God, you take over. So it's a, it's a constant thing. It doesn't just happen once and then you move on. I mean, at least it, it, that's the case for me. <laughs> um, but, you know, this is this is life and issues come up all the time. And the idea for me behind the steps, the the reason the steps in the program work for me today is because now I have tools to use when I'm face-to-face with something hard, you know, um, and that can be as simple as being at a family picnic and having a sister-in-law all up in your face, you know. So um, it, it really helped me to have a sponsor tell me at one point in time, don't expect perfection. It's never going to happen. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Robin, and thank you, Colleen, for the question. Can I ask a question? It's Irene. 
Can I ask Irini, a question? Irini, you wanted to attend to one moment, please. Irini, you wanted to attend to Colleen's question. Yes. Is that correct? Yes. Okay, yes. why don't you go ahead and then we'll take the next question. Go ahead. So this is what's so comforting for me is that I know that God is everywhere. So whether I'm in the park or in my house or in somebody's um, surroundings, um, and I get into my self will, which that means for me, I kind of have my own language, is letting go of God's hand. That's when I'm in darkness. It's just making <clears throat> that decision. Everything is about that decision that you make. What do you decide to do in that very moment? Do you stay where you are in your in being uncomfortable, or do you shift onto do you, do you let go and do you grab onto something different immediately immediately and, and it's it's about letting go and just grabbing onto something that's completely new so for me because God is everywhere and when circumstances come up I get into my self will the lights go out for me I can't think and I need to grab onto his hand and the lights turn on, and I'm able to inhale God and exhale self, which gives me time to pause and to allow me to, to accept of what God is telling me and to trust and rely. So at the beginning, it's just shifting. It's changing the channel, changing the channel, and just redirecting your thoughts. Thank you. I pass. Thank you, panelists. Let's move on to the next question. And there was someone that had another question related to step three. Do I want to unmute? Okay, does anyone have any other questions related to step three for our panelists this morning before we close the meeting? I will take that as a no, and so this will be an opportunity to thank our panelists this morning, Irini, Katie G., and Robin B., thank you very much for sharing with us on Step 3. Again, Step 3 uh, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. What does the big book teach us on page 73? Um, excuse me, 63? Next, we launched out on a course of vigorous action, the first step of which is a personal house cleaning that you can find on the bottom of page 63. Thank you to all our panelists this morning, and thank you for all the questions this morning. And I'll close with a reading from page 164, A Vision for You. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. 
See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.